and everybody. We'll uh, get started. Appreciate everybody being here this morning. Got something on my glasses I didn't know I had. Uh, picking up uh, where David left off last week, and we're beginning in chapter 32 of, of Genesis. And I'm glad I called him because when he finished, I didn't write it down, and, and I would have been like three chapters either before or behind. So uh, this is an interesting this is an interesting chapter. Uh, at, at first glance, it it, it kind of looks like the normal things you go through uh, with this, but there's a lot going on in chapter 32 as Jacob is making preparations to meet with his brother Esau. So he gets word that uh, about Esau is coming to see him. And he was afraid. And I'll explain his, his apprehension in just a minute. And he, he sent some gifts. And in the middle to the latter part of this chapter, he has an interesting encounter with a man. And we'll address that when we get to it. So in, in, in verses 1 and 2, just to, to begin... Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Keep that comment in, in mind. When Jacob saw him, he said, This is God's camp, and he called the name of the place Mahanamim. Now, I read this two or three times, and at, at one point I wasn't exactly what all this meant. In some ways, these are angelic beings that uh, have come to him. Um, but he was able to see them. And typically, when we think about angels, we don't see them. And so they met him. And, and I, I guess perhaps it was God's way of wanting him to know that he was going to take care of him and he and his family with him. And it, you know, it was, it was a revelation uh, to him uh, of God's presence. And this was after, as we read in chapter 31, this was after Jacob had separated himself from Laban. Uh, and Laban, as, as we well know, was a, a man of the world, so to speak. And that separation from the world uh, gives a, a better insight uh, into what we as believers think about this. So Jacob uh, was uh, entering into a more separated type of life. Change, things were changing for him uh, dramatically from what he had been. Uh, this lifetime of that we know when he and, and Esau had our, their confrontation, and he was he was a what we call him a man of trickery. You know, he was always making deals and then backing out on deals and cheating people and, and gaining things. Um, you know, you know, a way that that 
we wouldn't think would be appropriate. So this comment that, uh, that he says when he saw these angels, he says this is God's camp. And literally the, the word uh, Mahanamim means there's two camps. And this will come into play as they make preparations to, uh, to meet each other. And uh, back up into uh, my first comment there in the very part, first part of that, um, where God wanted Jacob to know how, how much he cared for him and everything. Uh, and Jacob is, is, in this time, is drawing, actually drawing much, much closer to God. And, uh, and I had a side note that that's, if you look at James chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, you know, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And so I think we're beginning to see on, on Jacob's part a, a bigger manifestation where he's finally is linking to God like, like uh, he should have been all along. Now, the, the thing of angels, and I don't want to get into angels because that's a whole other six weeks or, or a month, two months of, of dissertation about angels and angels in the Bible, and that would be an interesting study, but... Uh, these angels that came to him uh, were, uh, you know, some kind of higher beings than us. They they were ordained servants of God, uh, so to speak. Uh, and they they typically angels were serve God's people in whatever fashion or connect with them in whatever fashion He wants them to to do. Uh, and even Jesus dealt with angels uh, over in uh, in the New 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 Testament in Matthew chapter four. Uh, the devil left him, being Jesus, and angels came and attended to to him. So I'm going to leave it at that because we've got a lot of other things to cover. So going on down to verses three through about verse six. Uh, Jacob receives the message from his brother Esau. And Esau wants to meet with him. So then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. Uh, and he commanded them saying, speak thus to my lord Esau. So he's telling his, his messengers when they go to, to, to Esau, Speak this way to him. Here's what I want you to say. But the interesting thing is, if you remember back when Esau uh, was cheated out of his inheritance, he now addresses him as Lord Esau, which is, a, a, you know, an indication that he accepts that. And thus, your servant, Jacob, this shows his support. Uh, subsidiary type indication that I am now your servant. You're my Lord as you should be. And so it, it goes on to, he said, I've, I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came here, we came to your brother Esau and he is also coming to meet you with 400 men. 
boom. The whole scenario changes at that. That's like when I was in the Army, you know, we, I spent some time up on the East German border because we always thought that's where the Russian Army would invade Europe when they got ready to take over uh, Western Europe. And, uh, you know, we always thought they would come. Well, this is what this is what Jacob is thinking about now. Why is he coming with 400 men? That's a good question. I don't have the answer to it. But, but you see, his apprehension that automatically popped up. Uh, back to the German border, we found out later after the Berlin Wall came down that the Russians really never had any plans to invade Western Europe through the, what we call the full to gap. That was the big choke point that we all thought they'd come through. But that's another story. Us old soldiers can talk about that. So, he's, he's coming to meet you with 400 men. Uh, so, Jacob uh, is wanting to reconcile with his brother Esau. But remember, it's been how many years? 20 years since he's seen him. And when they parted, it was not a happy occasion because he had been cheated. Esau had been cheated out of his inheritance by his brother. So now, I guess in, in, in our worldly way of looking at things, I can understand you know, his apprehension of, well, if he's coming, if he's coming in peace, it should just be him and a few people. And if he's coming with 400 people, I better get my act together and see what I can do to protect myself and my family. So that's exactly what he did. Uh, he started, uh, you know, making preparations. He also said uh, to Jacob, uh, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. He wasn't boasting. Uh, he wanted Esau to know that he was a wealthy person. That He wanted him to know that he was not coming looking for handouts. He was not looking for you know, anything in, in that fashion. He wanted him to know that he was coming for reconciliation. But under the circumstances that he was presented with, I personally, I, could, I can understand it up to a, a point as we look at it from uh, as through the human eyes you know but we we have to remember that there's another big player in this whole scenario so Jacob had heard that and Esau's coming with 400 men uh, he couldn't bring himself to think the best of Esau uh, as we have gone through that there are that many people and at panic times, when we, when we get into life situations, what do we always do? How do we always think? Worst, Worst scenario. That's, 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 that's an analysis we all apply. I apply it every day in my work. Okay, if this happens, what do we do to counteract that? And that's exactly what he was doing. So the, 
just uh, I guess the humanity of, of him is, is on full display. So he was afraid and he was panicking. We don't make good decisions when we panic. Uh, very seldom. So he he was afraid, and he goes back to if Esau comes to the one company, and companies are what he divided into. He had two groups. He divided his family up. That's a good tactical maneuver. You know, he spread out. Uh, so uh, he divided up, and, and, and he was distressed. And back in chapter 31, when Laban and Jacob got into a, a, a hostile con- that confrontation, Jacob stood up to him. And that, uh, that pretty much ended it. But he was afraid of Esau. He was afraid of Esau because he knew that when he stood up to Laban, he was in the right. But when he knows he's got to stand up to Esau, he's the one that's on the short end of the stick. Esau has the the right to be angry with him and to seek revenge on on him. But... He he knew he was he was wrong with with Esau, and that's that's a, a big difference in their the decision making that's going on. He knew that he had done his brother wrong, and you can't do somebody wrong if you have any sense of conscience without it bothering you. And I think that's that's part of his reasoning as he's responding to these events. Is there? Unfolding here. I'm not a Shakespeare fan, but uh, he has made some interesting comments over the past. And one of them that I'd written down somewhere that says, Conscience does make cowards of us all. When our conscience starts bothering us, then we become afraid of ourselves. We become afraid of whatever conflict is facing us. And uh, Jacob had no strength before Esau because of his guilt and, and the way he looked at him. And, you know, we as Christians, even today, well, let me just put it this way. I don't know how we do things. I know how I do things. Uh, when, I'm out, you know, when I'm faced with conflicts in life, I always look back at, at the past. What happened in the past? Uh, and, and we have all these memories of our past failings and, and the things that we, we messed up in. And we forget that God has a, a place in our, our lives and in the roles that we play and the way we respond to things such as this. And when we're on good terms with him, when we put our faith and confidence in him, and we'll see this rolled out here in a few minutes, uh, we look at things entirely differently. So he was afraid, and, and he, he was uh, distressed. Uh, and before he left home, uh, remember back in uh, chapter 27, uh, before he left home, uh, after his brother Esau had 
sworn to kill him. He, you know, that was his last words to him. I'm going to kill you. Well, I raised two boys, my wife and I did, and I've heard them make some horrible threats against each other as brothers. And you, you know, they're they're no different from your kids or, or anybody else's. I'm going to kill you. Well, unfortunately, in this case, I think I think uh, Esau at that point really meant it. But then again, uh, things always pass over. But before he left home, uh, after Esau had threatened him, uh, Rebecca, his mama, told him, said, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send you and bring you from there. That's back in chapter 27. And, the, and the, one of the basic problems here is Rebecca never told Jacob. You, well, you know, Esau, Esau, your brother is okay now. Why don't you go see him? He didn't know that. She didn't. You know, she never said anything. So when he gets word that all these this army is coming upon him, uh, you know, there again, I think he had every right to to believe it because in his mind, Esau's still mad after 20 years, and when you've been mad for 20 years, you're really mad. Uh, but then again, Jacob now has, has transitioned into a, a much better relationship with God. So, in the way we would look at it, hopefully, he now believed that God would protect him. That should, that should be his attitude. But he seems to have forgotten that uh, there was a special camp of angels that came to protect him back in verses 1 and 2. And he have still had a, a great deal of fear uh, and distress that is, I don't think would be appropriate for somebody that professes to, to know God and to be under his protection. When God says, I'll take care of you, he'll take care of you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he was afraid. Uh, for one thing, that, that was wrong uh, because uh, he just had this discussion with God's angels. Um, and it was wrong because he had, he, you know, these people had come to, to, to help him instead of hinder him. And like us, like, well, let me rephrase that, like me, you know, when I get confronted with some things like that, if I've done something wrong in the past, I remember that. That comes back, those things come back and haunt us. But those things, if we are truly Christians, have been done away with. But that Jacob was still hanging on to that because he still was not sure what Esau's plans were. And apparently, in the, in the matter, he forgot where he was. Do I see a hand up? So he did what most good tactical uh, 
soldiers would do, he divides up everything. He, he splits into companies. <clears throat> and he, he's making all these plans and, and schemes about, I'll do this, I'll move this, I'll move that. What he really should have done, being who he is at that point, was just put his trust in God that he would protect him. And he forgot about God in this matter. <clears throat> so, as I said before, when you make plans to overcome things and you're panicking when you do it, and this happens a lot of times in, in, in traumatic things that happen to us in our life. If we just leave it up to ourselves instead of taking it to God, it just makes for poor planning. It never works out the way we think it's going to. And it can, it can ease a lot of anxiety, a lot of heartache, if we put God in the forefront rather than as a last resort. And I'm, I'm guilty of that, and I'm sure most of the people sitting in this room can say at some point in time, they were guilty of the same thing. So here he is. He's, he's facing this army that's going to be coming at him. He's gone through all this rationalization. But he does one thing, finally, that's the best thing he could do. What did he do? He started praying. And he says this, um, a beautiful prayer. And I won't read it through in, in, in detail, but, but, you know, God's telling him, I will deal well with you. And he's praying, deliver me from the hand of my brother. For I fear him. For you said, I will treat, truly or surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitudes. So after his reacting in fear, he finally did the right thing. He went to the Lord in prayer, prayed a beautiful prayer if you read all of it, uh, full of faith, and he, he was he's very humble when, when he's speaking to the Lord. And <clears throat> had had a lot of thanksgiving in his in his heart. And you know, there's there's uh, C.W. Lewis, who's a writer, a lot of people quote. He said, "Depend on it; it will go hard with any man who fights against a man of prayer." Uh, Jacob's, I guess, fear was okay because it led him to pray to to pray to God, which is what he should have done in the beginning, obviously. And it also uh, was good in as much as it led him to take a different outlook on his life. And his fear was uh, was good in the sense that, that it, it it connected him with God more than he had been in the past. And, you know, prayer is a special blessing that we as, as Christians uh, enjoy. Uh, if enjoy is the correct word, but, but you understand what I'm saying. It's our connection with God on a very 
uh, straightforward and intimate level. But God had told him, uh, you go back to your country and to your kindred and I'll deal well with you. Well, God, God has given him a promise before all this transpired. And I will treat you well. <clears throat> and, and, and a lot of our prayers, and I hope no, nobody, none, nobody takes this the wrong way, but a lot of our prayers don't, don't include enough of God's in, in, uh, involvement in our lives. Because, uh, you know, we have to, we have to be on a level with God that is, uh, is more than what apparently he had done in the past and what he's doing now. So when God gave his promise, it was uh, to put him uh, self in a power uh, of those that he who know and know how to, to approach him himself. And he said, you know, I am not worthy of the least of the mercies. You know, he has, his prayer was a prayer of humility and thanksgiving. And, and Jacob knew that, that at that point in time, he was not worthy of what God did for him or what to ask God to do for him. But he, he also pleads his own unworthiness. And it's not to... to to, to slow the pleading of God's goodness, it's a prayer of deliverance. Uh, where he said, deliver me, I pray. His prayer had faith in it for a change. And he wasn't ashamed then to ask God boldly to do something for him, to, to help him out in this situation. And, and the prayer... As I said, it, it was it was it, it, it was it was a beautiful prayer. I'm reminded of a you know, and I, I never grade someone on their prayers. You know, when when they when men in this congregation pray publicly, I listen intentively to what they say. But uh, and I also remember this. Uh, many many years ago, we had a brother, Marion Pitt. He was the he was the best friend we had. He was a, a great man of faith and prayer. And I asked him one time, I said, well, Brother Pitt, I said, what's the most important part of a prayer? You know what his answer was? He said, the 15 minutes after I have said amen. So no matter how great Jacob's prayer was, his faith should have been seen in what happened afterwards. And there, there's a lot of truth in that. Listen to what God says to us through the men's prayers. And then look what happens after amen is said. Do we take it and apply it? Or we just kind of brush it off and put it aside? So, <clears throat> moving on. Jacob... Now he's getting ready to, to roll out the carpet and he's going to send a lot of gifts uh, to, to Esau. You know, he's, he's got 200 female goats and 20 male goats. He goes on down. A whole 
list of, of, of animals and stuff. Uh, but at the end it said, in, this is in chapter, I mean in verses 13 through 21 and down at the end of that dissertation, he says, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him and say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with a present that goes before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Now, here it is, and in, 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 guys, you'll understand this. When we're trying to correct something we've done that irritated our wives, we're trying to make up with them right now. We're trying to set things right and get back on their good terms. So Jacob is doing the same thing. He sent his most impressive gift because he wanted to make it, he wanted to make it perfectly clear to Esau that he didn't need anything from him. He wanted Esau to understand, I'm not throwing all this stuff out in front of you because you need it. No. Uh, he, he knew that he didn't need it, but he wanted to, to uh, finish up with him in, in, a, in a way that made Esau understand, I don't need to, you to send you gifts. I'm just trying to show you how much I love and appreciate you. And we'll get into that later in other books here. But Jacob at this point, I think, honestly, trusted God. If he had, he would have been the head of the procession. If he had trusted God in this matter, he wouldn't have sent his people out with a whole herd of this and a whole herd of that. And he's back in behind waiting to see what, what kind of reaction. If he really trusted God, where would he have been? He'd been leading the charge, right? He would have been the one up front because he's the one that so desperately wanted to reunite with his brother, but he didn't know how to do it himself. So the, he got all these gifts and everything, and they, they send, he sends those over there. Uh, and, you know, one of his comments in, I forgot which verse it was, but he said something like, Perhaps he will accept me. It was in Jacob's mind, perhaps not, though. He also thought, well, perhaps he won't accept me. Perhaps he won't kill me anyway. So he still, he still has this problem of equilibrium between him and God that he has to, you know, to get balanced. So the, the gifts went forward uh, before him. And this is a a good example of the way we trust our abilities to do things and, and make things happen apart from trusting God. Because we all, if I ask for a show of hands, we've all made decisions. We all have done things without having any trust in God. We trusted ourselves. Um, well, let me just say that I've done that. I'm assuming some of you have too. But... Uh, we have to put our trust in God in a real way. Uh, I haven't heard this song here at uh, Laban, I don't think, but we used to sing a song uh, 
all to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. I will love and adore him or trust him in his presence daily live. And I think Jacob still is of the mindset because remember they haven't connected yet. He's of the mindset, well, I'll surrender all my goats <laughs> and I'll surrender uh, all my sheep and if that's not enough, I'll even surrender all my camels. Uh, but to this point, the problem was Jacob had, had failed to surrender himself to truly trusting in God. He just hadn't, he just couldn't, it just couldn't work in the sense that he had to do these things with God at the forefront, not, not behind him. So <clears throat> this whole story is, is almost wrapped up in these, these two points. He's got to trust in God. Uh, and under the circumstances, uh, you know, we, we understand it how it, from a humanity standpoint, how he can feel how he feels. But until he fully convinces God that he, he uh, trusts him, he's still wrestling with this. <clears throat> and then about verse 22 on through 23, uh, he arose that night and took his two wives and his two fem female servants uh, and his 11 sons and went over uh, to Jabbok and he, he took them and sent them over the brooks and he sent over what he had. So what he means here, <clears throat> he went across the river. And from a tactical standpoint, the important thing to get is at this point, Jacob had no means to retreat. He had either consciously or unconsciously committed himself to, to his connection with Esau, whether it be confrontation or reconciliation. But if Esau had brought those 400 men to destroy him, he had no place to go because he could not go back across that river after, in, during an attack. <clears throat> So he spent that night uh, praying. And once he was alone, <clears throat> God wanted his attention and, and he got it. And if you look at all the things that he had to pray about and looking at all the things that God had, had, had begun to do for him, it was impressive that at, at this point, that he finally, finally uh, understand, understood what he wanted, what he knew. So, verse 24 and 25, I, I don't know how y'all look at that, but it, it's, it's a kind of a strange part, but it's, it's an integral part because it involves uh, a man. It says, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, 
and he wrestled with him. So he's confronted with this man. And it says the man wrestled with him. And if you look at it carefully, you can make a distinction. The man wrestled with Jacob. Or excuse me, Jacob wrestled with the man. And not the other way around. Jacob didn't start out wanting anything from God. He had always been self-sufficient as some of us are. But God wanted something from him. He wanted all of Jacob's self-pride and and the attitude and the fleshly life that he had been living. And he was going to take it by force here in a kind of a metaphorical way. It doesn't say that he wrestled with the man, but there wrestled a man with him. So, you know, that's a strange part of it, but but this is the, one of God's angels himself is, is is confronting him because God God is getting to the point where he's going to start bearing down on on him. So, and this goes on to the breaking of day. It goes on all night. Uh, for all intents and purposes. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm having a hard time getting a, a mental image of, of this whole scenario. Uh, I looked at, I, I was reading one commentary and said, well, it, it looked almost like a bar room fight. Well, I've never been a bar in a bar room and I've never been in a fight in a bar room, so I don't know whether that's a good way to look at it or not. But I can imagine some of my skirmishes with when I was growing up, you know, uh, this was a this was what we would call a slugfest. I mean, there was some uh, some determination to hang in there uh, for a long time as frequently as as, as possible, and to have your way, uh, and with the help of God Almighty Himself. So. When he saw that he couldn't prevail over him as the fight progressed, uh, it seemed like Jacob uh, was was somewhere evenly matched with this man. Uh, but the it was evenly matched the other way because they struggled, and this went on all night long. So this man could have won easily at any time because. Remember, this man, being an angel, was sent by God himself. So he had the power to do whatever he wanted to do. And sometimes we feel like uh, we, can, we can do battle with, 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 with people and, and people that defend, you know, offend us, people that uh, tempt us. But we can't rebel and, and, and fight against God himself. Uh, we don't ever want to get into that uh, that that mindset. So, because God can, you know, He He has complete control. So it's it, you know it's it, it's hard to to imagine how Jacob was working so hard and and what he was feeling uh, to get the get the upper hand with this man until finally the 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 man changed. Uh, his 
hold upon him. And Jacob uh, apparently just felt that he was he was defeated. And you know, this this is a this is a good way to look at at, at our battles and our struggles with Satan. And, and we all have those. Uh, and we never ever win that battle as long as we're struggling trying to have our way and to to beat him. Uh, we we win when we let God take over, and God is, is the one that will defeat Satan. So I'll wrap this up uh, here in the next five minutes. This went on uh, all night long, uh, and uh, and and this this man obviously defeated Jacob because that was God's intent. And then he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So this is, this is Jacob talking to God, or this man. And it, it seems kind of counterproductive, so to speak. I would never confront God and say, hey, you need to do this for me. Uh, no, that's not the way it works. So this blessing that he was asking for, though, uh, he, he was... Uh, he was basically trying to, 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 in a roundabout way, ask God to bless him so that he could continue to do God's will instead of his own will. And we see at the end of the, the, the close to the end of the chapter, uh, he changed his name, this guy, this man did, from Jacob to Israel. And, uh, and he, the scripture says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed through God's help. So then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And, the, and he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So the, uh, the bottom line in all of this is the uh, coming of of events and, and David I'll, I'll apologize for not finishing the chapter but uh, there, there are two, two pivotal events after this uh, because it says you know Jacob called the place that he had gone to Peniel uh, and he says but I, I'm here because I've seen the face of God now and my life is preserved and he so he crossed over to Peniel and the sun rose on him and he limped from then on out, remember that, that the battle that he was in, this man uh, pierced his uh, hip. Doc knows about that. And, and for whatever reason, uh, from then on, he was crippled to the point that he walked with a limp the rest of his life. The point being is, for whatever reason, God chose this to give him a, a, a lifelong reminder. When you're in trouble, come to me. That's the lesson for us. When we're in trouble, go to God. And don't wrestle with him. It, it's, you know, how many of us have found ourselves wrestling with, well, should I? Well, should I? Or should I? That's not the 
that's not the proper way to look at it. If there's one lesson to be learned out of this whole dissertation here in this chapter 32, go to God first. Go to God always first. Don't take it upon yourself. Don't convince yourself that you can do it without him. You might do something, but it won't be what he wants. And if we'll keep that mindset, mindset, I think life will be a whole lot better for us. You've been good to listen. I appreciate it. And the bell's about to ring. I apologize, but I wanted to get this to David. David gets to have the, the good, good part next week when they come together. So uh, we'll stand adjourned.